And that's our prayer this morning is that we'll humble ourselves. We'll humble ourselves before His Word, before our God. He's worthy of all of our praise and honor, isn't He? And so this morning we want to submit ourselves again to the Word of God. Let's pray as we open uh, to the Scripture this morning. God, we, we ask uh, that You would come and You would enter into this place. Your Spirit would move to change hearts, to change our lives. God, we want to be changed. We confess that today. From the things that are not uh, as You want them in our lives, from the things that uh, you want us to become, God, would you help us? So this morning, God, we repent again. We, we humble ourselves before you and, and anticipate a word, God, that will uh, change our lives this morning. This morning, God, I pray you'd pour through me the gift of preaching so that, so that Christ would be formed in our lives. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. You have your Bibles this morning, your tablets, your phones. Uh, open or scroll down to, to Matthew chapter 5. We're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount, reminding ourselves of the world right side up. The world out there, it's, it's upside down. It's turned all which different ways. But the words of Jesus and the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus pronounces, uh, this is the world right side up, God's future. And we want to remind ourselves again of that this morning. This morning, the Beatitude I want to focus on comes from Matthew chapter 5, in verse 5. I'm going to read that now. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, that word meek is not a word that I use very often. I don't know about you. It's not in my normal vocabulary. And so as I came to the text this week, I I was reminded I need to know what this word means and not just assume I know what it means. The the first association I think I have with the word meek meek is the word weak. I don't know if it's just because it it, it, it rhymes or it's close to it, or maybe we think it means exactly that. But the more I looked at this word, it, it means so much more. It really means something different, I think, than weak. Uh, I looked first at, at just some synonyms. I looked at the, the source. These are some words that are synonyms, at least as indicated, of the word meek. Tame, timid, mild, bland. Isn't this your favorite word, right? This just describes your favorite food, right? Meek food. Unambitious, retiring, weak, docile, acquiescent repressed, suppressed, spiritless, broken, and my favorite, wimpish. Blessed are the wimpish. No, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. So, so then I decided I'm going to look at the dictionary, find out what the dictionary would describe. And so Merriam-Webster's defines two main definitions of meek. The first is enduring injury with patience and without resentment. Now that sounds like, that, that takes a strong person to do that, right? To take on difficulty and suffering, to bear up under that, to have, it, it takes courage and maturity to live that out. The second definition is a little different. Deficient in spirit and courage. Which seems like the opposite of the first definition. These are competing definitions of this word meek. So that didn't help, so I figured, well, let's, let's, let's look a little further. One is a power that's kept under control, that's matured in some sense. The other is weakness. But we're not the only ones who've looked down on this term meek. The ancient Greeks didn't see this as a virtue at all. And this word's hard to understand. In fact, William Barclay, one of the 20th century's greatest New Testament scholars, said this about the word meek. Meek is the most untranslatable of words in the New Testament. Thanks, William. That helps a lot, right? This is a hard word to figure out, but if Jesus is saying the the meek are blessed, I want to know who that is. I want to know who Jesus is talking about. Now, some have tried to talk about meekness as humility. We just sang a song about humility, and certainly I think humility has something to do with it, but there are Greek words that he could have used that would have been more clearly connected to to humility or humble. 
Um, it takes humility to be a meek person, but I'm not sure that uh, aligns. Others believe that gentleness may be the word that we would use to talk about meekness. That, that gentle people are the people that are blessed. In fact, in, in the New Testament, four different times the word shows up that's translated as meek here. It shows up four times in the New Testament. Three of those times it's translated as gentle in the NIV, and only once is it meek. And it's here in Matthew 5, verse 5. And so some would say, well, gentleness is what's being talked about here. Well, all this confusion, I decided I'll go back even further than that, right? What does Aristotle have to say about meekness? And he actually talks about this very Greek term that's, that's translated uh, meek in Matthew 5, 5. Aristotle said, uh, the Greek term for meek, praus, is the middle between two extremes. And those extremes are this. On the one side, there's getting angry. Uh, without reason, and on the other side is not getting angry at all. That in the middle of those two extremes is where you find this term meek. Now that's a little odd because I don't think about anger being associated with meekness exactly, but that's the way Aristotle's talking about this exact term is, you, you know people in your lives who are angry at everything all the time, right? That's not meekness. On the other hand, you know people that don't get angry about anything. And that's not meekness either. There's a central place, and Aristotle says basically, Praus is getting angry at the right time, in the right measure, and for the right reason. I mean, there are things that go on in our world that are not right, and the right response is anger at those things. A, a righteous discontent to say, this is not the way God desires for the world to be. A meek person isn't someone who gets out of control and angry, and, and it's not someone who doesn't see the wrong in the world. It's somebody who sees the wrong but is tamed in their response as well. So, so an animal that's uh, meek would be an animal that's been tamed, a wild animal that's been tamed in, in order to have some use. And for uh, those of us who are Christians, the same calling's on us. Is we can be wild in so many ways, but the, the meek people are the people who are tamed by God's will to live out of the power that He has in the right measure in the right time. So meek people have the, con the control not to retaliate in the face of, of injury, but to retaliate and respond in righteous kingdom ways when injustice goes on in the world. So I hope that cleared everything up for you, right? Still kind of blurry to me what this word is. So let's move on to the blessing, right? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, uh, growing up, I would have thought, <laughs> inherit the earth, that's not that great a gift, God, right? I mean, they get kingdom of heaven, these people get, and then the, the, the pure in heart, they see God. There's others who receive mercy in this list, but, but the earth, like in the birth, the earth going to get burned up? That's what I used to think, right? We went through a series of, not too long ago where we talked about the new heavens and the new earth, that God doesn't want to destroy. He wants to restore the earth uh, to its original purpose and intent. So let's pretend this is actually a good gift. Let's see Scripture and see the earth as a good gift. But when I look around, i got to tell you, meek are not the people that I see inheriting the earth right now. Anyone say amen to that? Like when you look around you, it's the powerful, it's the manipulative, it's the coercive that tend to receive the earth. But I'm trusting that Jesus' words are true. Matthew 5, 5. Let's read this again. The meek, uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is the promise that Jesus gives. And I'm learning to try to trust this. That in the end, it's not the powerful or the ruthless that are going to inherit things. It's the meek who will do so. But in our world, that's not how it is. As I said, the strong survive. We live in a world ruled by the powerful and the beautiful and, and those with every bit of power at their disposal. Robert Heinlein put it this way about the meek. He said, the meek do inherit the earth. 
but they tend to inherit very small plots about six feet by three feet. I think we, I mean, that's true, right? We see how that gets worked out in our lives. I mean, I don't know that many meek dictators, do you? I don't, that's not the way this world works. And most of the promises in the Beatitude, they're future-oriented promises, right? Uh, the, the merciful will receive mercy. The kingdom of heaven that's promised to the bookends may be a present reality as well, but this is a future promise about the world on its way. The meek have not yet inherited the earth, but the promise is that they will. Now right now, uh, that's not what I see around us. Uh, I don't see business schools that are teaching the Beatitudes in their business school, right? And the art of the deal wasn't exactly resourced from the Sermon on the Mount. We, we see things in our world so differently about how you manage, about how you're powerful, about how you move up the ladder. Do whatever it takes. And doesn't it seem sometimes like the wicked prosper? Like the same words out of the Psalms, the same words we could recite. Where are you, God? Why have our enemies overtaken us? Why do those who do what is wrong seem to have so much power? We, we tend to think when we think about power as power over other people, don't we? If we're higher on the chain, then we have power over and influence over people. But that's not the kingdom example of Jesus, is it? Sir, leadership in the kingdom is a service servant leadership. It's not a, a power over others. It's a power under others. It's a power that lifts others up. See, Matthew 5.5 5 believes this is true. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Which is why John's words in the book of Revelation, I think, are so incredible. They're so countercultural in the first century, and they're countercultural today. If you have your Bibles, open with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 5. Revelation 5. John has this vision from God about uh, about what's going on in their culture and what's needed. It's this vision that, that he receives, and he, he puts this into words in the book of Revelation. And I, I want you to imagine the audacity that it takes to believe what John says in this chapter. What would it take to, to see the Roman Empire with all of its power and all of its, its, its wealth and all of its might through military to imagine that somehow this little Jesus band of followers is going to end up having influence even greater than Rome? This is what John sees. Revelation 5, verse 1. Then I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. But then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Are you imagining this scene with me? Imagine with me what John sees. He sees this, this scroll that's unable to be opened. Then he sees this lion that's standing at the middle of the circle, right? He sees this lion, and it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he knows a lion can take care of business like anyone, right? I mean, this is the top of the food chain. This is the circle of life, the lions at the top. So there's hope because maybe this is the one that can open the scroll. Maybe this is our hope. After all, like I said, it's the king of the jungle, lions at the top. They devour, well, the meek, don't they? 
But then John sees something else. He sees a lamb. And not just any lamb, a lamb that looks as if it's been slain. And no one has ever mixed up a, a lion and a lamb, right? I mean, the early nursery rhyme wasn't Mary had a little lion. That would have been a far worse story, right? Mary had a little lamb. No one's ever been fearful of a lamb before. There's a world of difference between a lion and a lamb, and the Jews are awaiting a Messiah in the first century. When Jesus comes, it's not what they would expect. They're looking for a lion. They're looking for someone that can overtake Rome with all the power that's needed with that. That's their imagination about how the world world works. God, bring your lion of Judah that's promised. So they're looking and they're looking and they miss out, many of them on Jesus, I think, because they're looking for a lion. But what comes at the middle of the circle in Revelation 5 is what comes in the first century as well. It's a lamb, and not just any lamb. It's a lamb that's sacrificed and slain. Now, Rome had its way of showing its power, of lion power, right? You see, Rome was the largest empire in the world at that time. And it led with pomp, and it led with circumstance. And it led in in ways that let people know that if you mess with Rome, if you cross Rome, you'll end up on a cross. And that's what happened to the Lamb of God who comes into the world who's slain. But in Revelation 5, the promise is, here's where the hope is. It's not with the lion's. No, no, when, when, when that lion's looked at again, it's actually a lamb, a slain lamb that's at the center of it all. It's a shocking scene because Israel's looking for something else, but what they end up with is true hope. Many of you are, are World War II history buffs, and you could probably share much more about that history than I even know. But I, I wonder if you know what the Nazis had engraved on their belts when they went in to war. Their belts were engraved with God with us. Hitler wrote about this in his book, Mein Kampf, this whole idea, uh, which by the way, I don't use as devotional literature at night, just to assure you, right? But, but, but the truth is that, that Hitler believed in the big lie. The idea was, if I could tell a big enough lie uh, enough times with enough volume to the same kind of people, then eventually those people will come to believe it. And what they began to believe in was lion power began to believe that if you could just snuff out the lambs in the world, if you could get rid of those who are diseased or handicapped or those who are minorities, then a better world can emerge. Which sounds familiar, doesn't it, to a theory that Charles Darwin had about survival of the fittest. The fittest will live and will get rid of those who don't exactly fit the category. A few years ago, Holly and I were going to the doctor because we found out we were pregnant with our second child, Addie who we know now we're, we're blessed with. And, and I remember going in, if any of you remember that, that moment, if you've ever been in, uh, to hear the heartbeat for the first time, it's this incredible moment. And, 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 and thankfully, the heartbeat seemed good. Everything seemed healthy. But the, the doctor asked in that moment a question. He said, so, so are you all interested in genetic testing for your daughter? And, and I know there's probably a lot of circumstances where that may make sense. But at the same time, I thought, what kind of question is that? Because natural selection would tell us, at least the medical community, that if there's a problem, then it's actually easing their comfort to kind of take care of that situation before they enter into the world. But to me, that sounds a whole lot more like unnatural selection. Listen to the rest of Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. 
And they sang a new song saying, You were worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Do you hear that? It's the weak, it's the powerless, it's the peasants, it's those with no power, if lamb power at that, who actually are going to end up reigning, not the lion power of Rome at the time. Now, now we've sang enough, if you've been in church long, about the lamb, right? Oh, lamb of God, sweet lamb of God. We know Jesus as the lamb. We've, we've come to believe that in our heads. My question is, has that traveled down into our hearts about how we lead? Are we, are we leading and do we trust in lion power or are we coming to trust in, in lamb power? Because in order to rule like Jesus or with Jesus, we've got to learn to rule like him. It can't be any other way. We try to live our lives worshiping a lamb and so often I find myself living more like a lion. See, Jesus' kingdom is counterintuitive. It's, it's not the powerful who will rule in God's kingdom. It's the meek who will rule, which sounds pretty good right now in political season, doesn't it? Because I sure wish there was a meek candidate that we could opt for. That's not how this world works. It's not who we look to in these moments. And it's much harder for, to, to point the finger at, at politicians, but maybe it's time for us to turn the finger on ourselves and ask, is this how we're leading as Christians? Because this is what our baptism was all about. When we entered into the waters of baptism and we were raised to new life, we were committing ourselves not just to the kingdom of heaven, we were committing ourselves to leading and influencing through lamb power and forsaking the lion power that Rome died using. When did this stop being the Christian way that we brought about good in the world? We opted for power and coercion and manipulation at times rather than serving and, and sacrifice and realizing it's the martyrs of the church that actually allow the church to go on in hope. See, Revelation starts off by promising these persecuted minority churches something incredibly special. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse, verse 10. Listen to this promise about the world on its way. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. There's a promise that comes to those who are persecuted, and the promise is the victor's crown. The meek receive it, which brings me back to Matthew 5.5. Isn't it the same thing? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. But what are the meek promised? They will inherit. In other words, if you are a believer in Jesus, if you've opted for lamb power, if you've been baptized into his name and been brought out to new life, you're an inheritor of the kingdom of God. You're an inheritor of the earth that God's going to restore. You have an inheritance, and that inheritance is guaranteed. As a follower of Jesus, maybe you've not thought of this before, you are an heir to the king who holds everything in his hands. And that should change everything in our lives. I mean everything in our lives. If you know that you're an heir of what cannot be taken from you, it changes the way you interact. And most of us live our lives with, with few guarantees. We have no guarantee about our health. We have no guarantee about our financial situation. We have no guarantee about our relationships. We have no guarantee about our jobs or our careers. On and on the list goes. 
And most of us try not to dwell on that too much because it's too much to bear. Most of us try to protect ourselves and almost give ourselves the illusion of control, but all it takes is a hailstorm or a diagnosis or something challenging in our lives to reveal, reveal, reveal that we are helpless creatures in need of a God who's going to save us. And to be honest, most of us in this room have more guarantees than half of the world's population when it comes to reality. But all it takes is something, and all of that's changed, and that illusion of control goes away, and what's left? And when life is fragile in those moments and we question if we have any control, what often fills the vacuum are are leaders who step in and they promise you control and security as long as you you give in to lion power for a moment. It's worked for years. Tyrants always make this move. But the move of the kingdom of God is against that kind of thing. It's to believe that our inheritance keeps us from ever having to coerce or control or manipulate or any kind of power over move isn't a part of what the kingdom is. In a word, because we are inheritors, because we have an inheritance that is guaranteed, we can be meek. So in one sense, yes, the the meek inherit the earth, but in another sense, if you are going to inherit the earth, there's no reason to be anything other than meek, because to be meek is to acknowledge who's in control. And so allow that power to tame us, God's power, not any leader on this earth. When you understand you're an heir, you don't have to engage in power grabs that others feel they have to. You can live life with a knowing smile, even a a nod and a smirk to the future to say, I know who's in control and who will take care of it all. Which reminds me of another World War II story. It wasn't on the battlefield. It was the story of a guy named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Dietrich, Dietrich was living in the midst of Nazi Germany and felt a calling to that country, to the church that had really gone away and supported Hitler in his reign of terror. But Hitler, uh, Bonhoeffer, in the midst of this assault, in the midst of seeing lion power all around, decided he was going to be a lamb no matter what the cost would be. And he gave up his life. And when Hitler's men finally caught up to Bonhoeffer, you know what his last words were before his death? He said, well, this is the end. But for me, it's just the beginning. And you know what? He was right. Because Hitler's reign and all that he had is just a pile of ashes. Just a museum to terrorism and barbarism. But the kingdom of God keeps marching on. If you give your life to this backwards thinking, the world would say, if you commit to being meek, the promise is you're an heir of the earth. Everything God's ever promised is is yours. And when you know that, when you deep down know that God is in control, that, that He can do anything and all things, and that you are an heir of every promise He has to give to your disposal, all of a sudden meekness becomes the only appropriate response. Church, it's so easy in my life when situations get difficult to, to opt for power over others. It's so easy for me to, to, to opt for, for control and trying to maintain that illusion in any way I can. The move of the kingdom of God is never an opportunity to to grab power over others. It's always sacrificial. It's always laying down our lives. This is the original call of the gospel, wasn't it? To Take up our crosses daily and follow Him. I want to commit this way of life to you again. No matter what it is that you're challenged by, no matter whatever it is that's tempting you again to pick up power or some kind of influence over others, let me invite you to lay your life down again. Because the promise is the same today as it was back then.
you'll inherit the earth. Praise be to God. Let's pray as we close this morning. God, this is really hard stuff. We talk a lot about eternal salvation, and we're so great to have confidence about that. But God, sometimes we, we pat Jesus on the head with these sayings and say, yeah, that might have worked for Jesus or long ago. That's not a 21st century thing. But God, we believe that this is the way the world is. This is the world right side up. And yet, uh, it's hard for us to step out in faith down those, uh, those lines and to walk that way. So God, we, we ask for courage. We believe that meekness is not weakness. It's not... Uh, standing down and just allowing things to go on. There are things to be angry about. There are things to change and make a difference in. But may we always do that through the ever-enduring virtue of love, God. It's love that never fails. God, help us to lead in that way. Help us not to trust in, in any tyrant or any leader, God, who would promise us control. It's not even here on this earth, God. But help us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are heirs of the most important gift that ever could be given. Thank you for your spirit, God. Continue to guide us and change us and and shape us. God, may we live through land power as a people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.